0: put it on the market, had an offer in a couple of hours, and my net on that was 32000
1: Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Heard of crowdfunding and still curious about how you can benefit from it? Well, we've got a step-by-step guide put together just for you by the best-ever team and Patch of Land, the industry's leading crowdfunding experts. The best crowdfunding crash course ever, episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173, will provide you all you need to know to get started and begin benefiting immediately, whether it's getting access to funds for your project or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started with Patch of Land. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's p-a-t-c-h-o-f-l-e-n-d.com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Phil Puchioski. How's it going, Phil?
0: Terrific. Thanks for having me here, Joe.
1: Glad to have you on the show. And Phil is joining us from sunny Orlando, Florida, where he enjoys a whole lot of fishing and surfing. Phil's participated in over 1,000 deals as a real estate investor. He's the author of the best selling book, How to Be a Real Estate Investor. Very straightforward title. I love that. And he has the most popular real estate investing YouTube channel in the history. Of all real estate investing YouTube channels with over 5 million views. So we're going to talk to Phil about both real estate and then also marketing. I think those certainly tie together. So with that being said, Phil, can you give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
0: Absolutely. Well, my background is that I, like so many of your Best Ever listeners, at one time was very much interested in becoming rich. I had graduated from Vanderbilt University with a degree in mechanical engineering, and my first job was with a Fortune 500 company, and it was boring, and I was falling asleep at the desk, and so I began reading books on how other people had gotten rich, and I got very, very excited about the idea of working with motivated sellers and flipping houses, and this was many, many years ago. So I had a disagreement with my boss. Next thing you know, I had quit. It was actually a very bad idea because ultimately I didn't know what I was doing. And so I, um, I stumbled around and I tried, you know, I did all the things that everybody else does. I read the books. I went to the free seminars, but I didn't have any money. I didn't know what I was doing. I eventually went so broke, uh, true story, that I went homeless. Living out of my truck, Nashville, Tennessee, I spent about a month eating off a case of Bush's baked beans. I had one of those cheap can openers that hurt your fingers that always slide off the rails I'd eat these beans cold with a plastic spoon from Wendy's. It was just awful. Well, I was taking a lot of action. I was out there and I was, I guess, what you would call a wholesaler. I ran into a guy who he was living on the beach in Florida, uh, South Florida, but he had been up there in Nashville because his mother was going through cancer and he was there for her through that period of time. He actually had grown up in Nashville and uh, very, very successful. He came from five generations of real estate investors. And he, I guess, took a liking to me. He couldn't believe I'd gone homeless, being that I had a degree from Vanderbilt. Because if you're from the Nashville area, they think of Vanderbilt like Harvard. And so he, he took me under his wing. Now, I had to basically give him everything in my right arm. But we worked out a deal 50-50. And uh, the first deal we did, um, living out of my truck, uh, made $56,000. And after I split that, that was all the money in the world to me at the time. We went on to a whole bunch of deals together. He mentored me for several years. Uh, I reached my financial goals and I was like, wow, this is a dream come true. So what I began doing was trying to duplicate what had happened with my mentor. And I began mentoring others. And so today, the main thing that I do, obviously, because of the the YouTube channel and the the books and all those kind of things that I'm out there, but ultimately my passion is, and what we do is I mentor other uh, real estate investors. I split the profits with them. And of course, we're just killing it right now. I think a lot of investors are that know what they're doing because this is an amazing market to be doing this. And so my background is that we focus on residential, but anything residential that can make money. I mean, we're we're not we're not a one trick pony. So we focus on anything that's going to make money And certain markets are different than others. Certain states, we can do cool tricks that we can't do in other states. And I now uh, extend up to Canada, down to the Caribbean. So we've got uh, uh, Puerto Rico, I mean, uh, Hawaii. So I've got basically a network now, Joe, that uh, expands uh, all of North America. And we are just doing deals all across uh, those areas. And uh, In some cases, I'm putting my own money into deals. In some cases, we don't need money, but uh, just making a whole lot of money, working with a whole lot of different people, and having a blast doing it.
1: Let's talk about some of those cool tricks you mentioned in some states that you can do and others you can't. What are some What are the, some of those tricks?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Joe, and I um, I, I know that it may uh, drive some listeners nuts, but we do have some proprietary uh, techniques that we, we try to avoid sharing with the greater audience. I'll just give you a couple of things that we like to do whatever can be done creatively to remove a lot of the risk. So, a lot of times, like one of our go to moves would be a seller giving them a little bit of money now and then working out creative terms on the rest, say 90 or 120 days from now, making them our hard money lender. Because oftentimes we can get better terms with the seller than we can normally. And a lot of people don't do that. They always think in terms of, I need to go to a hard money lender, I need to go get money. Not necessarily. I mean, the $5,000 to a seller could be all the money in the world to them. That could get them moved out, and then you could work out the rest of the deal. And the beautiful thing is once you get on title, boom, you can put it back on the market and, and be making a lot of money on the flip without having to do a lot of the hassles. We try to avoid major rehabs. We'll, we'll typically wholesale those out to somebody else who's going to mess with those. Certain states will um, will play in the right of Redemption pond. And that's just beautiful after the property goes to foreclosure. Sellers have a, a, a right to redeem. We love that angle. That's like printing money. There's only certain states that allow that. And you really got to know your stuff on that because you can make some mistakes. Um, and then there are certain other states you can do right of redemptions depending on the way the foreclosure process works, if it's an HOA foreclosure, second mortgage foreclosure. So we just we find the angles and then we try to exploit them. And, uh, and ultimately, that's, that's kind of the, the difference. You know, that's the competitive edge you've got to have. Because otherwise, there's a tremendous amount of competition out there right now. And if you're not just one step ahead of that competition, it's really hard to, uh, uh, to be making these deals happen.
1: What would you say is the typical structure that you would bring to a seller? And you might say, well, there's no typical structure. It depends on the seller's needs.
0: Yeah, no, no. We typically try to make them like three offers, Joe. We'll make them all cash. We'll make them creative. We'll make them full-blown creative. You know, every single deal is, is different. It's a snowflake. I mean, you've got all kinds of different factors from how much they owe to what their goals are and what they want to accomplish uh, once they sell the property. And uh, you know, I, I was prepared with some of your questions, Joe, so I've got a pretty cool story a little bit later about just how creative you can get and how much money you can make by just knowing some of the angles. And so uh, it they're really, unfortunately, I can't give you a, a go-to strategy because every single deal, we try to come in with a couple of offers Depending on their uh, their particulars, because if you come in with one offer, then they're always evaluating one offer. But if you come in with three, at least they're trying to decide between three. But it's all all roads are leading back to Joe, right?
1: <laughs> I like that. I like having the giving them options and then focusing their attention on three different things versus is this a, a check the box yes or no? So can you go through? maybe a case study? Sure, sure. Or something where you talk about maybe, you know, where you offered all cash creative. And then, I mean, you certainly piqued my interest whenever you said a full-blown creative. I don't know what that is, but that got me excited too.
0: All right, cool. So yeah, case study. Uh, this is a deal I just personally did. Okay. The uh, the seller had uh, had bought these two properties in succession back at the very end of, um, of last year. And so he put down a significant amount of cash on each one, and he got loans. It was kind of a quasi-hard money loan. I'd never seen it before. But he got it through his LLC, and the first one, if you can picture this, and the listeners can picture this, it's a beautiful home. It had the – he had decked it out. He spent $20,000 on furniture. This Tommy Bahama gorgeous beach furniture had the screened-in pool – Um, hot tub, had the palm trees, just gorgeous home. And it was perfect. It was meticulous. It was spotless. So he's got that home and then he's got another property they had bought that he was going to turn into a rental. I don't really know what his game plan was when he bought these things, but literally a month or two after he bought these, he needed needed some money back right away. He had some emergency. He never shared with me what it was. I didn't ask. And so the first one, he had paid $250 for it. And I bought it from him, the store, uh, normal, traditional way. I bought it for him for 200000 And again, that was just all cash. But the house was perfect. So all I did was walk up to the front door, put a lockbox on the front door, put a sign in the yard. I didn't even have to hire a cleaning company. It was perfection. And uh, the pool was perfect. Didn't have to hire a pool company. Put it on the market, had an offer in a couple of, uh, couple of hours and my net on that was thirty-two thousand. All right, so you got to follow me here. He paid two fifty. He put twenty thousand in, in in furniture in there. So technically, he had a basis of about two seventy minus the land. And I had picked it up at two hundred, sold it back out, and uh, my net was thirty-two after commissions, closing costs, and that sort of thing. All right, so he's got this second property. Now he had tried to sell that one to me, but I didn't like the numbers as much, and I had offered him a creative solution before, where I was just going to take over his payments and give him a little bit of cash. But at the time, after I just closed that first one with him, he had a little cash in his pocket, so he wasn't quite as motivated. Well, about a month and a half later, he calls me back and he says, hey, man, I, I want to get rid of this, this other property. Make me an offer. And I said, well, I already did. And remember, it was I'd take over your payments and then just give you a little bit of cash in your pocket. And I said, but that's not the best thing for you, man. If you can hold on to that property, you can make some money on it. You just put 40000 down on it because he paid one forty for it, put uh, $40,000 into it. I said, so just don't sell it to me if you can at all avoid that. We coming back the next day, and said, I can't avoid it. I got to sell this thing, man. Phil, give me 5000 cash and it's yours. All right, here's where we get super creative, Joe. What most people would do is they would give him $5,000. They would either close it with a title company or, or just close it themselves and just get on the deed and take over that, that first mortgage. That's what most people would do. Well. Let's go back to the story here. He owned both those properties in that LLC. How much money did he lose on that first deal? $70,000. He's got a $70,000 loss in that LLC. Now, by me buying the LLC for $5,000, I get to acquire that loss. Follow me? Yep. All right. So I pick up that second deal, $5,000 down, which is what I paid for the LLC because I took the LLC over the loan was in the LLC He didn't he didn't sign on the loan personally therefore I don't have to change the insurance or anything. Everything stays exactly the same. I just acquired the LLC. I called the property manager told me, hey I'm the new guy in town send your uh, send your checks your cash flow checks to me. So it gets a little bit of cash flow not that much but here's the beauty. tenants move out February 2016. I put it back on the market. Assuming the market doesn't collapse, maybe it goes up a little bit. Either way, if I sell it for about 140 or in that range, then I'm in it at 100. So if I, after you know, commissions and closing costs, I pull in another 30 on that. Here's the beauty: I have a $70,000 loss. I made 32 on the first deal. The second one makes about 30 or 35. It could make more. All that profit is completely tax-free. In fact, I've got a loss, right? And if you're unfortunately, if you're in a tax bracket like me, any kind of tax advantage money you could make is beautiful.
1: And it all it all leads back to one, having the being savvy enough to pick up on this opportunity. And then two, the properties being owned by an LLC and buying the LLC, right?
0: In this particular case, yeah. So yeah, every deal's a snowflake. So you you can't go into this business with the one trick pony approach of thinking that you know you just you've got one tool in your tool belt. You know the old saying, I mean to a to a hammer, everything's a nail. You can't be that way. You've got to look at every deal from every angle possible to find where the most juice can get out of it. And of course, helping the person as well. In this case, the guy signed over his LLC and he was done. He, he had no more responsibility on that property. So he loved it. So he was happy. In fact, if, as you as you heard from the story, I'm not big on negotiating, Joe. I don't beat these people down like some investors do. I give them their options. I let them make that decision on their own. I want them to do what's best for themselves. So I, I'm not trying to do any tricks or angles on what to say to them to get them to agree to something less. I give it to them straight and let them make their own decision.
1: Do you have a conversation with them first to identify what they are likely wanting out of the deal? Or do you go in just knowing, based on the numbers, that these are the three options I'm going to offer?
0: Oh, I, I think the old saying, whoever says a number first loses. Yeah, you always Always ask, what's the absolute least? You wouldn't be happy with the number. You wouldn't be bragging to your friends about it, but you could you could barely sleep at night with it. What's the least amount you could possibly deal with getting rid of this property? Cash in your pocket after all closing costs. Absolute, absolute least. You definitely have to ask that question. Ask it like three times.
1: <laughs> Do you get the same answer every time?
0: No. No, they usually, they'll change.
1: What are other questions that you must ask a potential seller?
0: I think one of the questions that too often people are scared to ask is, how much do you owe? And when the person says it's none of your business, you kindly and respectfully say, well, it is public record. I can pull it up here in a moment. No worries. I'm sorry to have even asked you. And if somebody won't tell you how much they owe, they're probably not going to be somebody you want to work with anyways. Because there are so many sellers out there that are so irrational, they won't even pay a real estate agent a commission to do the sale in a normal situation. You know, a lot of investors troll for deals on Craigslist, and that is chock full of a bunch of completely unmotivated, completely irrational sellers that want to have their cake and eat it too. I don't blame them. They want full price. They want it to close all cash yesterday, and they don't want to pay any commissions. So... You know, you you do have to ask certain questions that are penetrating. That way you can get a feel for, is this person going to be reasonable to deal with? My favorite question on the planet is, if you're not able to sell it for the amount you just said you have to sell it for, six months from now goes by, what are you going to do six months from now if it hasn't sold? And I wait. And if they say, I'll just sit on it. They say, I'll just rent it out. They say, I'll just hire an agent. You know what their backup plan is. And that's the key to understanding motivation. I see so often, and of course, being a a mentor for so many people, they'll use the phrase, Phil, I'm talking to a motivated seller. I go, oh, really? Why are they selling? Oh, because they just want to get rid of it. Okay, why is that? Well, because they don't really want the house anymore. Well, okay, why not? (laughs) And after about eight questions of why, the person doesn't know. The way you determine why they need to sell is you determine what happens six months from now if they don't sell. If they say it's going into foreclosure, I got to sell. Bam. I like what I hear. If they say I don't have a choice, I need money right now. I got gambling debt. I just inherited this property from my parents. If I don't sell it in a month, I'm going to get physically beaten. Then you know they're motivated. Sorry if I go in too far down the road here, Joe. This is a real world we're talking about. If you're in real estate investing, you're dealing with people that are in a struggling, difficult situation and they have all kinds of reasons for it. And so You've got to get to the bottom of why they're truly selling. And if you're unable to, through good questioning, get to that information, you can't ever totally help them. It's kind of like going to a doctor and saying, doctor, figure out why I'm sick. And they ask you about some of their symptoms and you don't tell the doctor anything. You've got to get to the bottom of what's going on in their life. And if they won't tell you, guess what? There's plenty more fish in the sea. Just move on.
1: The deal structure intelligence and knowledge is really what you've been talking about. You know, I'm picking up on this conversation and I love that. And I I wonder, how do you personally continue to evolve your mindset and kind of bring in more ammo for how you can structure deals creatively?
0: By doing it every single day with, uh, with people all across North America. See, I, I don't listen to um, a, lot of, a lot of things out there. I think a lot of stuff out there is noise, uh, obviously not this wonderful podcast. But I try to insulate myself from all the talk and murmur, and I just focus in the business of doing the deals, talking to the sellers, talking to the mortgage brokers, talking to the closing companies. And it's through the real world of experience and all the experiences of all the people that I mentor that we pick up on little tricks and little things that ultimately your best way to find out that stuff is in the real world because a lot of people are scared to get out in the real world and do this stuff and they stay in what i call the cocoon of education where they're kind of safe they can read something they can listen to something that's safe but when you get up there in the real world and you're talking with these different parties all kinds of things can can go haywire and that's where we stay on the cutting edge because we're out there and we'll pick up on something and we'll scratch our heads and go you know what how do we make money on this deal, especially when you got a motivated seller, Joe? And it's like the person really wants to get out of it and they've given you the parameters and what they're dealing with and they're very transparent and you're just scratching your head and you're going, how do I figure this out? And that's where we come up with these things. And ultimately, the creativity all comes from the real world. That's where we base our stuff. In fact, I, I have a podcast, but it's not very, uh, I don't follow up on it very much because I focus more on the YouTube channel, but it's called Real Estate Investing in the Real World. You know, It's that, what it's about. If you're out there in the real world, What you're doing is you're constantly collecting ideas that ultimately can come together into some brilliant little tricks and um, things that help the seller and help you make money. Because ultimately, anybody that says that you can't help both doesn't understand all the facets of these deals. And so for me, I I spend a lot of my day, I spent several hours this morning just pouring through many of my students' deals. And they'll say, Phil, this is what I think. What do you think? And they've given me – we have a software system. that keep track of everything. I can see every little parameter. They've asked all the right questions. Everything's in there. I can sit there and synthesize on that data and say, "Hmm, what is the best, you know, game plan or what three offers are we going to make here?" And, you know, based on what the seller wants. So,
1: Phil, what is your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: The best advice I can give to anyone is that you've got to get a mentor because ultimately, So many people are going to get interested in this business. They might even watch some reality television shows on flipping houses and get inspired to go fix up a home. And so often they lose or they fail or they give up or they just never do anything. Ultimately, the best way to transfer the wisdom on how to truly be successful in this business is to have a mentor who can do that for you. Because as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, This is the same concept that's been for hundreds and hundreds of years. Anyone successful you've ever read about, heard about, talked about, they've all had at least a mentor, if not more than one mentor. You can't figure it out on your own. You've got to get somebody that understands this business at an entirely new level because you need to work with the 1% that also has a passion and a drive and a gift for mentoring to teach you how to become one of the 1%. Otherwise, it'll be like the blind leading the blind. Unfortunately, I spend a lot of time having to fix the, uh, the bad ideas of people who spent way too much time on, on forum posts and, the, and, and just traveling the internet trying to find answers. Ultimately, the wisdom, people do have it, but you got to align yourself with a mentor, at least one, somebody who can show you the ropes and get you where you want to be, in addition to gathering ideas from a lot of different places. I had a complete breakthrough, Joe, when I had a mentor. A lot of things that you could never write about, talk about, listen. I mean, it was a different world, kind of the wisdom he shared with me. And it made all the difference in the world. I mean, to this day, it was the best decision I ever made in real estate. Working with him, he transformed me. And uh, I'm thankful for it.
1: You ready for the best ever lightning round? Fire away. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners crowdfunding you've heard about it and now it's time to learn about it our best ever sponsor patch of land is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions that's p-a-t-c-h-o-f-l-e-n-d dot com forward slash best ever Interested in apartment building investing but don't know where to start? Then check out all the free resources from my friend Michael Blanc. Go to the themichaelblanc.com for a free ebook plus articles and videos. That's T H E M I C H A E L B L A N K.com. Okay, Phil, best ever book you've read?
0: The Millionaire Mind by Thomas J. Stanley.
1: How come that's the best ever?
0: It encompasses so much wisdom on how to live a very economically productive life and it covers so many different parts of life. It's not just about let's say a business or investing in real estate it's it's so many other parts to it and that book I read it so many times and I have discovered now so many years later just how incredibly insightful it is. You follow the wisdom in that book long enough every best ever listener here. You all can all be millionaires. Just follow that wisdom and then apply what you hear in there. And of course, it does talk about a mentor as well. But so many things it shares in there. It's a game changer.
1: Best ever listeners, I know you like audio. So you can go to free and get a free audio version of a book like that. And get on your way to having the millionaire mind. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learn from it.
0: Going homeless.
1: That makes sense. I could see that coming.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, what it did is it it emptied my cup. I was extremely humbled by it. It was at that point that I finally started to put my life together because I realized just how broken it was. It's at that point that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. It was at that time that I found my mentor. It was at that time that I began to truly understand what a bunch of small bad decisions can add up to and what then a whole bunch of small good decisions can can uh, catapult you into so that was that was a very very powerful personal growth experience
1: best ever success habit you practice
0: i always find somebody who's already mastered a subject that i need to deal with and i connect with them something as simple joe is contacting the very best hvac contractor in an area all the way up to you know who you should take advice from as far as investing in the stock market and that sort of thing you just surround yourself with great people who have already spent their lives mastering a subject that you know nothing about. And that right there has been a huge success habit for me. It's not easy in the beginning because you have to be the kind of person that would attract those kind of people. Otherwise, those other people that are the, the best in their separate endeavors don't have any interest in connecting with you. But uh, over time, you get better and better at it and when you talk to people they know you know your stuff in your realm and they are more likely to uh provide their wisdom on their realm
1: i love that i take the same approach i think that's that's follow the path and work with people who are best at their business and successfully doing it and actively doing it i love that best ever deal you've done
0: i really don't think there's a best ever i think the one that obviously will never leave my mind was my first deal with that mentor when we made $56,000, I mean, the person owed over $300,000, they had a first and second mortgage. Uh, this was so many years ago when no one knew what a short sale was. And my mentor uh, explained to me that we wanted to knock out the second mortgage. And I remember I said, okay, well if we knock them down to say $5,000, uh, where's that money gonna come from? And he was like, well, I'll show you. So we got the uh, second to agree to five and, um, and I was like, all right, where's the money gonna come from? And that's where we did what's called a rent to own and I found a tenant buyer willing to put $20,000 up. He was a contractor for Home Depot. He had a bunch of cash on him. And so we we get the uh, we get them in there. So it's the five minus the 20. So I've already got 15 in my pocket. And that's very, very helpful. The deal is going to cash flow because there's only a first mortgage in play. And uh, cash flow like 700 bucks a month. And um, get this. So they were able to get a loan like two months after they moved in. Couldn't believe it. And so we're going to closing and we we're getting the title search back and uh, we already done a title search when we first closed on it subject two, But now we are closing on it to resell. And the the other title company was like, do you all realize that the first mortgage has the wrong legal description on there? And uh, we, looked at the, uh, we looked at it and it turned out the legal description was on the house next door. This was a 16-acre property in a beautiful part of Tennessee where a lot of country music stars live. It's Franklin, Tennessee. And so with this, armed with this new data, we said, well, what does that mean? And the title company said, well, technically, there's no lien on this property.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Because this first mortgage, whoever put the, 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 the loan documents together did it wrong. It's on the wrong property. So technically we could close on this and y'all could keep the whole entire thing said. Now, if you tried that, there'd be a lawsuit and you, I mean, it, it could get real ugly. So, uh, my mentor is like, well, you need to call the bank and explain this to him and do a, almost a short sale. I said, well, the first mortgage is current. He says, well, they're gonna have a real title problem on their hands. And so anyways, we knocked the first down, I dunno, know—to the tune of like 30 grand all because of that mistake in the paperwork. And uh, that's how we ended up making 56. And um, that was pretty cool. I mean, that was the first deal I'd ever done with a mentor. And between knocking down that second and then getting that first to come down because of the wrong legal description of the paperwork, I mean, this this is real life, though. I and mean, this is how these deals are made. They're made on an individual level. Once you've got the, uh, the, the main pieces in play, then you just look the angles up. And that's where you, you find the best profit. So that was amazing. You know, no cash, no credit, no nothing. That was a lot of coin. Back in those days, because I just didn't I mean I was homeless. I had nothing. I remember I'd i look at the the ATM bank statement. I just I just get the statements. I was back before mobile banking. I'd look at these statements and go, I can't believe that's in my bank account. <laughs> I remember the accountant at the end of the year couldn't believe it got done either. He was he was looking at me going, How did you do this? Go do more of those. I was like, Yes, sir, we'll do.
1: That's a lot of can of beans. Yes, sir. Best ever project you're most excited about right now.
0: I'm just really excited about all the deals my apprentices are doing right now. I mean, this is the end of May. We got quite a few closings lined up for today. We had to send payoffs on. I just, I love it. I love seeing us take somebody brand new into a market that's typically completely saturated and competitive with other investors and just have them, you know, just catapult, leapfrog over them, slide into awesome deals, make great money. We make money along with them because we split the profits with them. I'm excited about that because we just got more and more going on. The marketplace is so good right now. I mean, I think we're going to look back on this year as one of the greatest years to invest in real estate. I mean, there's so many things in play. Low interest rates, the buyer demand is up, The, uh, the people that bought homes a couple of years ago. They've actually gone up in a lot of marketplaces, so they're happy. But at the same time, there's equity in there. It's just a lot of things in play. If you're if you're listening right now and you're on the sidelines a little bit, get in the game. And it's summertime. June is the busiest time of year in most parts of the country for closing. So, I mean, June's going to be just a whirlwind of activity. So I'm excited about that.
1: Best ever way you like to give back.
0: I am on the board of directors for a foundation that is orchestrating the largest homeless and families in need event in history. It's going to be held at the Citrus Bowl in Orlando on Easter Sunday, 2016. We're expecting to serve upwards of 30,000 people from medical services, legal, haircuts, washing their feet, food, everything in between. And we have this very sophisticated system that's gonna be able to connect them with many of the community service providers after the event, so it's not a flash in the pan. It's gonna be, you know, not only helping them that day, not only feeding them a fish, but, but, you know, but, uh, but teaching them how to fish, so later these people can go on to more productive lives. And not only am I, of course, contributing significantly financially to that, but also my time and energy as part of being the board of directors uh, and if you do end up getting involved in that event, I will be the one training, doing the big pep rally the day before the event for thousands of those volunteers. You'll definitely see me. Uh, you can learn more about that organization at orlandoserve.com, and I'm very excited about how that is going to impact. Again, you know, I was I was episodically homeless, as they call it, uh, in the government world. But uh, since being homeless, I, I have a heart for those people that may be going through a, a rough patch, and so. I I hope that that event can uh, can transform literally thousands of lives.
1: Best ever quote.
0: If one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. Henry David Thoreau.
1: What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate?
0: It was the hard-headedness of trying to go it alone. And in retrospect, It was done partially out of necessity because I was so broke. So the mistake was quitting my job. Y'all don't quit your jobs if you can at all avoid that. Keep some money coming in. I should have kept my job, started real estate on the side by focusing all of my energy on aligning myself with a great mentor as opposed to spending all that time messing around with uh, trying to learn it on my own. I remember I was I was bone fishing with one of the great bone fishing guides in the Bahamas. And as I as I pulled up to the dock with him, I said, I've got good news. I've read a couple of books on bone fishing. I'm ready to go. He goes, All right, great. Forget everything you've read. It's a lot different where we fish around here. <laughs> That's a perfect example. You know, you you go find the mentor first. If it costs a lot of money and it's a big hassle, well, guess what? Real estate's gonna be even more difficult. So you're better play, save the money if you need to. Do what you got to do to align yourself with at least one great person, if not a great team, who can mentor you. That will make the difference. My mistake was trying to go it alone. In retrospect, I should have just kept my job, saved the money, bit my lip about the boss I didn't like, and done what I had to do to align myself earlier.
1: And lastly, what's the best ever place to reach you,
0: Phil? You can find me at freedommentor.com. In fact, I give away a free copy of my best selling book, How to Be a Real Estate Investor. So head over to that website, freedommentor.com.
1: Phil, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and talking about your own personal journey and talking about how you approach real estate and it is on an individual transaction basis and coming up and learning about the needs of the seller and and having, I I love how you mentioned, you know, three different offers with deals. One's all cash, one's creative and one's full-blown creative and the uh, full-blown creative, you, know, you gave that specific example of buying the LLC that owned those two properties and then actually netting out on paper at a loss so that you uh, you know for tax purposes that was a, a darn good thing and then also talking about understanding the the motivation of sellers and really this whole conversation or majority of it was about deal structure intelligence and that's something I know in, in my in my own investing career I've realized as like okay there's this seller I know he wants to sell. But I need to figure out all different ways and all different approaches I can take to closing on this deal. I'm doing apartments, as you know, and, and regardless of what we're investing in, if it's single family homes, storage units, office, retail, apartments... Having that deal structure intelligence is incredibly important because then you can be a solution to the seller's needs and you can customize it based on whatever they're looking to do. So thank you so much for sharing your advice and being on the show. And is there anything else you want to mention before we sign off?
0: I just want to say thank you so much for having me, Joe. And to all the best uh, ever listeners out there, you can absolutely achieve your dreams. It may not always be exactly the way you thought it was to get there but don't give up. Don't ever give up. If you're at your lowest point right now, the great news is there's only upside from here. And if you're on your way, just keep plugging along. I encourage everyone to align themselves with uh, great advice like you hear from Joe. And that way you can stay encouraged because there is a few people anywhere around where you are that are absolutely knocking it out of the park and you should be one of them. Again, Joe, thanks so much for your time.